it's really tempting as a founder to pigeonhole yourself into you know one type of founder like I'm a product founder or I'm a sales founder or I really only do one thing and I'm gonna hire people to do these other things I would challenge you to to realize that early in your company you're gonna have to solve all of the problems yourself and it's important not to abstract away those problems and ask someone else to solve them for you welcome to 14 minutes of SaaS the show where you can listen to the stories and opinions of founders of the world's most remarkable SaaS scale-ups. This is the third and concluding part of my interview with Ryan Carson, CEO of Treehouse, a chat that took place in New Orleans during Collision. Ryan talks about his history as an entrepreneur, how he fights shiny new big idea syndrome, something I've suffered from myself, and how he stays focused while ensuring his family life in Portland, Oregon is prioritized. One thing that, that stands out about you, uh, Ryan, is that you build things people want and are prepared to pay for. Uh, you built DropSend, Amigo, mm. and personified events, all acquired. That, that's a remarkable achievement. Um, well, almost. Some, oh. uh, some of those went out of business. Okay, okay. Um, so I've tell, learned, tell me about your ups and downs yeah, with so those three. Ups and downs. So uh, what's funny is, so I, the very first company I started was called Flight Deck. Okay. And Flight Deck was basically a precursor to Dropbox. Uh, so, you know, or Box or any cloud storage service. Um, and it totally failed. And, uh, what, and then we pivoted it into DropSend. Uh, and that was a success. And I ended up selling that business. But the first business was a failure. And it's because I didn't, I believed I couldn't sell, and it and Flight Deck was essentially a B two B product. You know, sell it to a company who needs to send large files to their customers. Sure. And because I didn't realize I, I'm good at selling things, and I didn't learn how to do it, it just fizzled and kind of died, and we, yeah. we couldn't grow revenue. So we shuttered it and said, okay, that didn't work. Um, and then we actually. I sat down with my wife and said, wow, I'm not prepared to go get a job yet. I, I want to try to make something work. And uh, we realized, you know, we're really passionate about helping people. And there's so many tech jobs. I wonder if we could help people by teaching them how to code cool. so they can get jobs. And then what we didn't think of doing online. It was like, well, let's teach in person. Uh. You know, it's kind of obvious. So we launched an in-person training company that was Carsonified. Oh, okay. And that did work. You know, we, we did uh, workshops and conferences around the world to teach people how to code. Um, grew that to about 15 people. Um, sold cool. it. Had a really good outcome on that. Um, but in the end, though, I realized I can't, I can't truly help, you know, tens of thousands or hundreds, hundreds of thousands or millions of people by doing these in-person training yeah. events. Yeah. And also now I understand you have to be privileged to even go to those things. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You have to get on a plane and yeah. afford that. You know? I suppose Coder Dojo would be, which came out of Dublin, yes. uh, came out of Ireland, would be a good example. But I suppose what they got was they got the buy-in from local tech companies. Yes, yeah. Coder Dojo was great. That was the way they, they, the, the way they found it. Right. Uh, yeah, yep. yeah. I forgot that was out of. Was it Dublin? Uh, actually, I don't know if it's Dublin or Cork. It might right. have been founded by people from Cork. I'm going to get hung uh, right. uh -oh. I for getting this wrong, but it's definitely out of Ireland yes. anyway. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, not everything I've done is, is a success for sure. And even Treehouse, which is thankfully going very well now. I mean, there was some big 
ups and downs, you know, and scary things happen. And everyone listening should know that, you know, if any founder tells you it's all great, they're lying. Um, it's yeah. Not. So the big play for you, Ryan, I'd imagine from a scaling perspective, is that B2B uh, upper mid-tier and enterprise mm. uh, stratum, I, I guess. And uh, at this stage in your evolution, um, I know you were telling me you do a lot of consultancy with the guys because you want to identify the right type of people yep. for, uh, for the right type of courses, which is crucial. Um, I suppose, so it's kind of a mix of, of, uh, of you know, a B2B SaaS product, but with requiring quite a bit of professional service at this point in its, mm. in its evolution to ensure success. Um, would you be doing, like would half of your business almost be professional services fees at this stage? You know, it's interesting, um, not now. Um, and I think we want to keep professional fees, you know, to, I'm just throwing out a number, maybe 25% of our revenue. Yeah. We really do want recurring um, Absolutely. You know, revenue yeah. and, and a SaaS style business um, for a number of reasons. I mean, of course, um, it's, it's everyone easier. listening to the show is probably interested in that. And it's, it's easier, it's more sustainable, it's, it, you get higher valuations as a company, all that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what are you not good at? Oof. Lots of things. Um, You know, I'm not good at um, having patience and um, and you know sticking to to something uh, over the long term. And what what I've learned is how to battle that. Um, So I essentially you know like to move fast and to um, uh, try things quickly. But once you find the solution, you know executing on it for years is is something that doesn't come naturally to me. So I got a CEO coach, uh-huh. and she's helped me, you know, really iron a lot of these things out. Wow! And and there's a couple things that I do. So um, whenever I feel like changing something at Treehouse because I'm getting bored, yeah, um, I basically create a list of of things to kind of wait on before I talk to anybody about, and um, or big ideas. If I have a big idea, it goes on this secret list that <laughs> no one knows about. And then you know, ninety percent of those things, when I, I when I come back to them three weeks later, I I, I'm, I don't care about them anymore. Okay. So it kind of filters out the the thrashy ideas um, that that mess with people, and then only the good ideas kind of come out. Um, and then no one hears all of your crazy ideas, and they you know you get to keep those to yourself. I think you're from Portland, Oregon. Uh, well, I'm from Colorado, but we live in Portland. You live in Portland. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's kind of refreshing because um, you know almost everyone's in, is in uh, uh, San Francisco. I know. A few of them, Mountain View, Palo Alto, and stuff like that. Uh, would you recommend Portland as a great place to do business? And you know, are you happy you, you built your business there? I'm very happy we moved there. Um, I love it personally. It's got a wonderful kind of quality of life, and it's very walkable and and open-minded and. It's getting, I guess, a little more expensive now because we're all moving to Portland. Um, so if you can afford it, it's great. Unfortunately, you know, some people that live there are getting pushed out, which is bad. Uh. Um, but I would recommend it. You know, you can get to Silicon Valley in a couple hour plane ride. I do it all the time. Yeah. Um, and it's becoming a burgeoning tech town, I would say. Cool. So I would recommend it. Great. Um, how do you keep a work-life balance? Uh, you must be an incredibly busy guy doing, um, doing all of this and, and, and constantly questioning yourself as to whether you're doing the right thing as a human being. Mm. Um, you know, how do you, have you got kids? Yes, so two wonderful boys, uh, seven and 10. Great. And I've happily married, thankfully, and, um, and very much in love with my wife. And, and I think, 
The way that I maintain that is um, by protecting my time at home as much as I can. And what I do, <clears throat> like I said, I, I work a lot, but what I do is I kind of jam it into early morning hours before my family wakes up. Uh, and then at work, I'm, I, you know, I'm just so laser focused on my to-do list for the day so that I don't waste time at work. And that means, so I wake up at 4.30 every morning and, wow. and I'm a morning person. I, yeah. Um, I've trained myself to do that. It wasn't easy at first, but, and I work, I go down to my kitchen and I do uh, treehouse work from 4.30 to 5.45. And that really allows me to get a jump on the day, you know, I'm able to crank through a lot of my proactive to-dos. Sure. Um, I do a lot of my sales work during that time because a lot of it's emailing. And then um, I do a quick workout in my basement. And again, this is all about being efficient. Like I don't go to a gym, yeah. you know, I just go to my basement and <laughs> run around and do, you know, lift crazy buckets for and what? stuff. Um, and then, uh, and then 6.30 comes and it's like, okay, it's time to go um, bring coffee up to my wife and we chat for like 30 minutes, um, just hang out. And the kids, you know, bother us and jump in the bed. And <laughs> that's kind of fun. And then, you know, then we have breakfast and it's just that consistent routine every morning binds me to my family. And then uh, the little bit of workout keeps me healthy. Um, and then at the end of the day, I stop exactly at 6 p.m. and I come home. And I rarely do evening you know, drinks or, or dinners, um, which I know hurts Treehouse long term, but I've just decided that my family is more important. That's great. Um, and you know, then the, these events are, are good and bad. You know, we're away from our families. Um, that is a price. A permanent price. I mean, my my kids are. I'm never going to get back the three days that I spent here I with know. them. Yeah, and it. I understand it. And it's a hard choice, right? It is. And but you know, you have to do some of it. Yeah. Um, these things would never happen, you know, if you didn't go physically. Absolutely, absolutely. But I, I think I think I'm managing the balance right. No, you do. Sounds like you're doing an amazing job. Thanks. If you had to walk away from what you're doing today. Um, oh, would what would me. you do? I know it would kill you. I, I, I've, I regularly say, you know, on Twitter, you'd have to like literally kill me to make me stop <laughs> working in Treehouse. I, I, there's no way I'm gonna stop. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's it's almost my nightmare if I had to stop Treehouse. I love it so much. But I guess, you know, what I would probably do if I had to walk away, I would basically work on something to do with bringing about equity, diversity, and inclusion in America. Okay. Um, you know, as a white male, I have kind of a unique ability to actually affect things yeah. because of my privilege. So I would probably try to lean in and work on the problem um, in a way that I'm not doing a treehouse, which I am doing. So <laughs> it's, a tough, it's a tough question. Yeah, absolutely. If you were to um, give one or two special pieces of advice to entrepreneurs at any stage in their life, but mm. people, maybe mature people walking away from corporate life or, or a young person up and coming. What are, the th what are the one or two really core things you've learned and that you'd like to pass on? If, if you are you know, lucky and privileged like me, you know, so if you've already got a lot of things covered in your higher up Maslow's hierarchy in life, I, can, I think I can offer a set of, of things. If, if you're not there, then there's a whole set of things that you have to deal with. But let's say that you, you know, are healthy, you have some education, and you, you've got the ability to start a business um, because of those things. I would say um, it's really tempting as a founder um, to 
pigeonhole yourself into you know one type of founder like I'm a product founder or I'm a sales founder or I really only do one thing um, and I'm gonna hire people to do these other things I would challenge you to uh, to realize that early in your company you're gonna have to solve all of the problems yourself okay and it's important not to abstract away those problems and ask someone else to solve them for you okay um, and then once you solve the basic uh, problem and you figure out the rough solution then you hire people you know to help you with that but not to do something that you never did okay um, and the reason why I learned the hard way you know I thought I didn't have to figure out sales and I didn't have to figure out marketing you know other people would do that and that put those folks in an impossible position you hire them and say fix this really hard problem I, I didn't fix it, you know, and I don't know how to do it, but you do it. And it, yeah. it just doesn't set them up for success. Um, and so now, you know, I've gone back in and I run the sales team at Treehouse and I've learned, you know, how to be literally in the trenches as a salesperson um, and, and how to help them and support them. And that's really working now. And, and then we're now ready to scale the sales team and it's ready to kind of explode and grow and that's exciting. But I, I had to do that work and I didn't do that work when I should have at the beginning of the of the company, so do the hard work, um, go through the pain, and then and then you know think about hiring folks to help you do it. Uh, Ryan Carson, uh, you're you don't just talk the talk, <laughs> you walk the walk, and I knew it was the case before I researched you five <laughs> minutes after meeting you. Thank you, I'm Stephen. Thank absolutely you. delighted that you gave me the interview for 14 minutes of SAS. In the next episode, we return to Collision in New Orleans, where I chatted with free-thinking Colton Andrus, CEO and co-founder of Gremlin, a company that breaks IT systems to make them stronger. His company had already raised $9 million in investment when we spoke a few months ago. It has since raised a further $18 million in Series B. Gremlin is still less than three years old. We'll explore Colton's life and passions, his experience in Amazon and Netflix, and his world of failure as a service and chaos engineering, and Gremlin's tenuous connection with World War II. The Gremlin is something that came to be in World War II. The pilots were talking about these little green monsters on their planes breaking their engines. And this exact idea of little green monsters breaking your machinery, that's, that's what Gremlin's about. Two in the morning when everything's on fire, your heart's beating, you don't want to screw up, you don't want to make things worse, but you got to do things quickly. It's, it's a tough spot to be in. You've been listening to 14 Minutes of SaaS. Thank you to Ketsu for music provided under a Creative Commons license. This episode was brought to you by me, Stephen Cummins. If you enjoyed the podcast, please don't forget to share it with your network, subscribe to the series, and give the show a rating.